Greetings, Peshorvans of Retrogrades. A new essay entitled Rereading the Theological Ethics of Life was published June the 30th in La Civiltà Cattolica, the Jesuit-led periodical, whose content is approved by the Vatican Secretariat of State before publication, might well place renewed emphasis on the area of moral theology concerning contraception, IVF, even euthanasia. This all happens under the not-so-careful watch of Pope Francis, the destroyer, we've called him, Parish Orphans and Retrogrades, here on Rules for Retrogrades. And let me tell you something, La Civiltà Cattolica is a good barometer for what we might expect in the next year or year and a half from this radical, topsy-turvy Francis pontificate, pontificate number 266, we are going to be rereading the theological ethics of life. All of this comes from an America Magazine article from three days ago, and it's not that shocking. In today's episode of Rules for Retrogrades, we will discuss precisely why this is a plausible claim that Francis might, with a new forthcoming papal encyclical, redo the whole thing, rejigger, re reconfigure the entire teaching on the ethics of life, the theological ethics of life, it would be consistent with his goal, with his role as the man, the point man for the Sankt Gallen Mafia. Before we do that, remember to like this video, subscribe, click the notification bell. That's the only way you're going to know when we make three new videos a week, typically. So do it. Also, if you want to support the channel, support Timothy J. Gordon on Patreon. We're only three episodes into our weekly reading club of Father Elijah. Great book club. People are enjoying it a lot. We're slowing down the reading pace in the fourth week. We're only reading two new chapters. So theoretically, if you want to become a patron today, all levels are open to the book club. You could catch up quite easily. Become a patron today, Timothy J. Gordon. We always encourage you to get out of your blue state, get to a red state, especially the blood red swath of very red, red states from Texas to Florida. Do it today. Do it before the fall and the midterm elections and the re-release of COVID 2023, whatever the hell is coming down the pike. Get out of the blue, get to the red now before your state board is shut down and disallow you to. They do not want you combining with other red staters. This side of what you might look at as the Mason-Dixon line. Go to realestateforlife.org and get from the blue to the red, just like I did. I went from the bluest of the blue, California, to the reddest of the red. A pro-life, probably Catholic, will help you on the other end of the line to find a great place in a cheap, reliable, Christian, better place to raise your kids, realestateforlife.org. Okay, so this America Magazine article that I'm reading from is entitled Birth Control, IVF, Euthanasia, the Vatican Encouraged Dialogue 
on polarizing life issues. Is a papal encyclical next? Now, the title of this video has a question mark in it. You've heard me joke before about YouTube videos, particularly Catholic YouTubers, who use a question mark in each of their videos. Fake, cheap, tawdry, clickbait. Like a cheap scare in a horror movie. You, you know, you jump because a, a rat was moving on the floor. Cheap, cheap thrill, cheap scare. That's what the question mark in the titular line of a YouTube video can be. Comet hurtling towards Earth at enormous speed, question mark. Then you get to the video and it's just, no, no, it's not. But thanks for watching. And while you're watching, here's all this stuff I'm selling you. <laughs> yeah, that's not what I do here on Rules for Retrogrades. That's not the modus of operation. Usually when there's a question mark in the title, the answer is probably or outright yes. And usually what we're up against is just coming up with a title that conveys enough information without being too long. So the answer is quite probably. A papal encyclical encouraging polarizing dialogue on these closed avenues. Abortion, euthanasia, birth control, the life issues, is forthcoming? I would guess yes. The article opens, and this is America Mag, by the SJs. <laughs> it opens by saying the following. Pope Francis has encouraged a process of theological renewal on many fronts, but perhaps nowhere more significant than in the realm of theological ethics and moral theology. Remember, I said this, uh, in two videos of my last four. I said, yeah, in times past, we've had the Avignon papacy and the, uh, the Arian heresy and the monophysite heresy, where the, the, the primary trigger point that was so divisive amongst the census fidelium was something really dogmatic and fundamental to theology, such as how many persons are in the Trinity, What's the nature of the, the, the power of the Sea of Rome? How is it allocated? That's not what we have after Tübingen. Tübingen is liberal theology, Protestant, liberal theology, Catholic, downstream of that in the 19th century. For the last 200 years, the big moral issues in the church are not fundamental theological ones. They are moral theological ones, principally concerning the private parts of the human being. And I'll add, I'll hasten to add, that typically the issues surrounding the pelvis of the human being, as certain word-on-fire personalities often refer to it, it's a really open-and-shut issue because it's so clear in scripture, it's so clear in tradition, and it's been so clear for 2,000 years of magisterial teaching. One way, natural law teachings on human sexuality and what we call, no pun intended, the progeny of human sexuality. I don't mean children themselves who are procreated. I mean the other issues that follow on sex has to be between one man and one woman within marriage. It's got to be unitive and it's got to be procreative. I mean, issues like IVF, 
related to that, I mean, directly derivative of those elements. Yes, your married couple friends who want to engage IVF because of fertility issues are marital, but, and it's procreative, but it's not procreative as between husband and wife. And it's certainly not unitive. So we can't do it. Marital, conjugal sex has to be procreative, unitive, and it has to be in the context of marriage. So these three elements have yielded a really clear, decisive set of answers on the so-called pelvic issues, like contraception and IVF and others. For 2,000 years, the fact that Francis wants to encourage dialogue on such open and shut, clear moral theology means he wants to change it. It means that as the point man for the Sankt Gallen Mafia, this is one of the things he was here, he came to do. He's a destroyer. That's what dialogue means in this context. In four of his landmark papal documents, Evangelii E. Gaudium from 2013, Laudato Si from 2015, forgotten about for many years until about 2021 when he started trotting it out there again. Amoris Laetitia from 2016, that's an exhortation, not an encyclical. And that one has not been forgotten about much. That is the centerpiece of his pontificate. And Veritatis Gaudium in 2018, also, in countless speeches, catechetical talks, and homilies throughout his papacy, he has revived the church's long-standing tradition of the primacy of an individual's informed conscience, and among others, the role of discernment in moral decision-making. As I use it in pretty much all Francis discussions, as the keystone, the Rosetta Stone even, to understand Francis, you have to understand Amoris Laetitia, the third of those four documents, where after Amoris Laetitia, even though it is a natural law, clear element of moral and sacramental theology, that somebody in a state of mortal sin, objective mortal sin, cannot receive the Eucharist, Francis, after 2,000 plus years of church teaching, changed it. Those who are so confident Francis is Pope and a good Pope, I'm more confident about the former than the latter, obviously, they never will deal with Amoris Laetitia. I've told you that probably three dozen times in three dozen different shows, episodes of Rules for Retrogrades. They will not, they, they get all confident when it comes to Benny Plenism or Sedevacontists or SSPX or any kind of naysayers qua the Francis pontificate. Oh, you guys are just renegades. Francis has not done anything that he doesn't have the warrant to do. Well, yeah, I mean, I don't like what he's doing vis-a-vis the TLM, especially after last July the 16th, 2021. He looks like he's moving to eliminate it. But he doesn't have the warrant to do what he did in 2016 in Amoris Laetitia, where he essentially said, if you're on the Poland side of the border, then the church teaching is what it always was. Somebody in a state of objective mortal sin cannot receive the Eucharist, particularly the divorced and civilly remarried. But if you're on the Germany side of the border, 
then suddenly, newly, radically newly, one can. The bishops there can say that it's not immoral for a public adulterer, that is to say a civilly remarried divorcee, can, without quitting his sin and atoning for it, can go receive the body, blood, soul, divinity of Jesus. So now all of a sudden we have national borderlines that are supposed to be, according to Francis, the conceptual dividers. Mortal sin, west of, uh, you know, north of the Mason-Dixon line, no mortal sin south of it. That's an impossibility. That is the worst sort of both cultural and moral relativism. Cultural and moral relativism. And it is the centerpiece of Francis's pontificate. And more important than even the natural splitting of the soul that this causes, natural splitting of the intellect, supernaturally it splits the church. Old magisterium, old teachings from Francis's teachings. 265 popes from the 266. That can't happen. Still, none of the folks out there that come down really, really hard on the Beneplanists, I'm not one of the Beneplanists, but I don't come down hard on them because in some ways, I really wish they're right, hope they're right. There's still a chance they are. I don't know. You can't, no one can account for Amoris Laetitia. It is doctrinal error, approaching dogmatic error, and it's been, it's, it's falsity has been vouchsafed by Francis. He put it into the AAS later in the year of 2016, in October of that year. He put a letter stating the wrong moral and sacramental theology into the Acta Apostolica Sedis. I know I talk about this a lot, but here's the point. Francis is a destroyer. If he's Pope, then it means really, really bad things. And to understand the America Magazine article that I'm discussing today, you have to remember at the front of your mind, Amoris Laetitia. And this last sentence in the American Mag article, it says, Pope Francis has revived the church's longstanding tradition of the primacy of an individual's informed conscience. This is the highlight. They, the Jesuits, including Francis, the radicals, the brigands, the bad guys in the church, and all those who support them are bad guys, say that this term of art, with a highly subtle, nuanced meaning, the primacy of the individual's informed conscience, they say that means, more or less, that moral relativism is correct. What the 265th pontiff, in the opening week of his pontificate, Benedict XVI, hailed as the greatest moral danger in the world, which is also a mortal danger, more relativism, has been the centerpiece, the crown gem of Francis's reign. Francis says nothing shy of, or insinuates nothing shy of, the idea that informed conscience's sovereignty means that one side of a border, it can be immoral to do A, gravely immoral to do A, and the other side of the border, it can be perfectly moral 
to commit that same act A. Now, Francis is moving, all signs indicate, to make the same intellect-splitting, soul-splitting contradiction of Catholic teaching in the most fundamental way that moral theology allows, doesn't allow. He's attempting to do this with contraception, because the renegades, his people in the church, the, the pre-Sankt Gallen Mafia guys, have been wanting to get rid of the teaching, the outline of Catholic contraception. They've been wanting to get rid of the outline since about the year 1972. Then he's going to do it. He's going to pull in a Morris Letizia on it. The Pope's teachings in these authoritative four documents have influenced how theology is taught in Catholic universities and seminaries throughout the world and have also given church scholars much sought-after permission and freedom, freedom, freedom to explore new horizons in Catholic theology. Under the present papacy, theologians are empowered to ask complex questions that touch on the messy real-life issues that affect the faithful without fear of being silenced. What does this mean? Theologians are empowered to ask complex questions that touch on messy real-life issues. I don't see this as complex. In marital sexual congress, can contraception be used? This is not a complex question. It's utterly simple. The answer is and must be and has always been no. No. This is one of the main things that's been taught about from the apostolic days onward. Contraception is a grave moral error, mortal sin, grave matter. Couldn't be less complex. What if I said um, the Pope's teaching is dialogic on this new cutting-edge re-reading of slavery? You know, how theology on slavery is taught in Catholic universities and seminaries throughout the world um, will give church scholars much sought-after permission and freedom to explore new horizons in Catholic theology on human slavery, human bondage. It's been looked down on for, for at least 200 years. Shouldn't we have dialogic freedom to, without boundaries, explore this complex moral issue? Under the present papacy, theologians are empowered to ask complex questions that touch on messy real-life issues that affect the faithful without fear of being silenced, according to the Jesuits. They won't apply this to a question, I'm not saying it's complex slavery, right? It's a clear moral evil. But it's much less clear. It's much more complex. Particularly given the history of biblical slavery. That alone means that it's a more complex, more open question than contraception or IVF or any of the life issues. Slavery is not a life issue. Now, it's a grave moral evil. It's great, I say, that slavery's all but vanished from the face of the earth. Great, because it's an evil. But it's a more complex issue. And according to Francis, he uses this propaganda 
of I want to just do dialogue on these complex real life divisive issues. Contraception isn't divisive among Catholics. You might say, oh, but everyone in my church contracepts if I go to a Novus Ordo parish. Or most people do. Yeah, that doesn't make it divisive. It just means that there are a bunch of renegades that aren't living out their Catholic faith, that aren't truly Catholic in the sense of praxis. It's not an open issue. I mean, this is like saying that it, during the Arian heresy, the Trinity was a divisive issue. Well, yes, but no. Among faithful Catholics, the Trinity has never been a divisive issue. <laughs> if, you're, if you're not a Trinitarian Christian, then you might think there are four or five or seven or two persons in the Godhead. But if you're a Christian, it's triune, and it is, and it always has been that way. Same thing with contraception. Same thing with the other life issues addressed even in the DDK. Okay, so why are the theologians being empowered? Why? Because Francis is here. He's the destroyer. And the Sankt Gallen Mafia put him up to this. And now he's here to finish the job that he's already begun. And that job began decades before he was even a bishop. The renegades in the church want to get rid of the teaching against contraception, and they eventually want to get to the legalization, so to speak, of homosexuality. A new essay titled Rileggere l'etica theologica della vita, which translates to English as Rereading the Theological Ethics of Life, and was published June the 30th in La Civilta Cattolica, I read this before, the Jesuit-led periodical whose content is approved by the Vatican's Secretary of State before publication, could place renewed emphasis on this often fraught area of reflection in the life of the church. Interesting times, interesting, they say, interesting times lie ahead if the reflections reported in the essay speak to what may be afoot in the Vatican. Now, Publications of La Civilta Catolica are overseen, closely scrutinized, and narrowly tailored by the Secretariat of State, the Vatican. And it's a Jesuit periodical. Francis is head Jesuit in the world in the sense that he's Pope and he's a Jesuit. And this means all sorts of approval. This indicates all sorts of tacit ratification. It is legitimate to ask if Pope Francis, listen to this, will give us a new encyclical or apostolic exhortation on bioethics, which sounds more technical than they just mean here, IVF, contraception, that might be called Gaudium Vitae, which is the joy of life according to uh, Jorge Jose Ferrer, SJ, the author of the essay, a priest and professor of moral theology at the Pontifical Catholic University of Puerto Rico. Now, the reason he's suggesting a title, what, who, when you're speculating that a pope might write an encyclical and then you further speculate, even less likely, on what the title of the pontifical would, uh, I'm sorry, the encyclical would be, 
How seriously are we supposed to take that? When he says it might seriously be called Gaudium Vitae, the joy of life, what is Ferrer saying? Here's what he's saying. What was Pope Francis's central document called? Amoris Laetitia, the joy of what I call sex, right? That's, I always joked it was called the joy of sex, one translation. You can also go... Uh, um, Amoris Laetitia, the joy of love, which is what everyone claims it's called. You could take Amoris Laetitia either direction, interpretively, right? So the joy of sex, the joy of love, where he boldly, in that Amoris Laetitia, blew wide open the doors and the windows of Catholic, plain, obvious moral teaching for 2,000 years on the reception by divorced and remarrieds of the Eucharist? The answer had been no, then he said yes. So when Ferrer here says this could be called Gaudium Vitae, the joy of life, not the joy of love, but the joy of life, he's saying that Francis might well compose an encyclical, according to all the research we have here from the Pontifical Academy for Life, that boldly reimagines if we're putting a positive spin on it, the 2,000-year-old teaching on the theological ethics of life, which are very similar to the theological ethics of amoris, of love. They're, they're all the groin issues in both cases, life and love, amoris Laetitia, gaudium vitae. So don't, that this is a very clever, I mean, this is a clever man, clever villains, wise as serpents, uh, when he says, oh, it might be called Gaudium Vitae, he's saying this and probably any of you who read this article, maybe a lot of you will report to me that you read it before I did, before I covered it, that might have slipped past you. You've got to have keen eye to catch what he's talking about. Why would he suggest the title for it? The Amoris Laetitia of Life Ethics in Theology. Were such a papal document forthcoming, says the America Mag article, it would spark a wide-ranging reflection on the ethics of human life that could lead to a new and definitive papal teaching document on issues as polarizing as contraception, assisted procreation, that's IVF. Did a great show on this channel about two months ago called IVF, the synthesis of all sexual moral theology heresies. Also palliative care. Were, let me read this again. Were a papal document forthcoming, it could lead to a new and definitive papal teaching document on issues as polarizing as contraception and palliative care. The essay, written by Ferrer, offers an overview of the contents of a, get this, 528-page book, he wrote, that contains the proceedings of a three-day interdisciplinary seminar convened by the Pontifical Academy for Life of all things, at the Vatican from October 30th to November 1st in 2021, published last month by Libreria Editrice Vaticana, the Vatican uh, Publishing House, under the title Etica Theologica della Vita, Scrittura Tradizione Svide pa uh, Practice, Theological Ethics of Life, Writing Tradition, Practical Challenges. This is a big deal, and this happened, you know, 10 months ago, nine, nine and a half months ago. 
um, that we're just sort of shaking out now and fleshing out now because Francis is evidently fleshing it out now, figuring out what he wants to do with it now. The departure point for this seminar was to listen attentively. Always your ears should perk up and begin listening attentively when Francis or his thugs in the Vatican say they want to listen attentively. It means they're about to change something and they're running you through theater of kabuki and they're going to say, we want to listen. We want to relook at this idea of female deacons and priests. We want to relook at this idea of very probati, married priests. We want to relook at this issue because it's so divisive. We want to listen to the faithful on contraception and IVF. It means a change is coming. Listen attentively to the magisterium of Pope Francis and after careful study to reflect on the theological ethics and bioethics in particular in a truly dialogical way. That means truth is not fixed by God or nature. Truth is fixed by God, you know, nature's God, the Trinity, combined with, you know, hearing from the rank and file liberal Catholic layman renegades who want to use contraception on their wives, who want IVF, who want homosexuality, things like that. That's what they mean by truly dialogical. It's not monological. It's not God speaks to Moses and lays out the Ten Commandments. That's just Christianity, by the way. Before Christianity, Christianity. And no, I don't say Judeo-Christian. I don't. That's, that's pre-Christianity, happened in Judaism, but God speaks, we listen, we obey if we love him. God speaks, most of the so-called faithful hear, but don't want to hear and disobey. And God will not collect them at the end of time as his own children. That's how it works. It's monologic. Now, I'm not against dialogue. Some issues, even some moral theological issues, are close calls and require scholarship. This isn't some of them. A lot of these issues are so, even in Thomist circles that are hotly debated, they're real live wires. They're real issues. This is not one of them. The real issues are never fundamental issues like uh, contraception. That's dead. It's a dead letter. It's obvious. No, you can't. Not dialogic. There's, a room, there's, there's areas for dialogue, but... The obvious sexy issues where the renegades want dialogue the most are the least dialogic. We followed a path of study and reflection that led us to see the issues of bioethics in a new light. Starting with the role of discernment and the formed conscience of the moral agent, Archbishop Vincenzo Paglia, the president of the Pontifical Academy for Life said in an interview about the book with Vatican Media. Let me reread the first part of that sentence. Too, too long of sentences. Too many uh, subordinate clauses. But we followed a path of study and reflection that led us to see the issues of bioethics in a new light. How do you see the issues of bio, bioethics in a new light? Would you do this with slavery, human slavery? I ask you again, Archbishop Paglia. Your Eminence, would you reconsider 
human slavery, chattel slavery, in a new light? If the answer is no, would you, would you open it up to dialogue? What about slave owners that just really want the free labor, man? What about that? There's some new light. You could get some relativists to say slavery is okay. If you could get a relativist to say that contraception and IVF are okay, those are more open and shut. You can certainly get a relativist to say slavery is okay. I've shut down an untold number of self-described moral relativists by saying, okay, well then slavery is not objectively morally wrong. They don't want to say that. No one wants to say that. It's 2022. We're coming to the end of 2022. People don't want to say that about slavery, but they want to say it about issues of the groin, the issues of the loins. They want to apply the moral relativism selectively. Issues like slavery, segregation, they don't want to. Even just non-immoral aspects of race relations, like... um, is there some demographical aspect to to the way that, that crime breaks down? Let's, let's look at violent crime. That's not even immoral to ask. That's an uncomfortable question for the average person that wants dialogue. Okay, can we talk about who does the most violent crimes in, let's say, the United States of America? No, 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 we can't talk about that. They become, from the wrong side of the aisle, they become moral objectivists. But when it comes to sex... Moral relativism is the way. Somehow moral relativism never gets applied to segregation or slavery or, I don't know, SAT score disparities among the ethnicities. It's funny. Now, who is Paglia? I want to give you a a really brief overview of who Paglia is. And when I was looking at this, I had forgotten a basic fact. A lot of people will say I remembered this. Archbishop Vincenzo Paglia, the Grand Chancellor of the Pontifical John Paul II Institute for Studies on Marriage and Family, educated at the Pontifical Roman Minor and Major Seminary, obtained a licentiate in philosophy, I have a licentiate in philosophy, as well as a degree in theology, both from the Pontifical Lateran University uh, in the heart of Rome. Remember, there are seven Pontifical Universities in Rome. I studied at two of them. He also received a master's degree in pedagogy from the University of Urbino. He was ordained a priest on March 15, 1970 from the Diocese of Rome, served as parish priest at two churches in Trastevere, the cobblestone district uh, south of the Vatican, but west of the Tiber. It's a cool little area near the old Jewish ghettos that Nero set on fire. He is also postulator of the cause of canonization of blessed Oscar Romero and venerable... Father Felix Varela. On March the 4th, 2000, John Paul II appointed him Bishop of Terni Narnia Melia. So another bad appointment by JP2. There are enough of those to go around several times over. JP2 appointed some of the worst guys in the church. We've already talked about that. We don't have to more. In September 2002, he was appointed by Pope Benedict XVI as president of the International Catholic Biblical Federation. Now, I did not know that Benedict appointed him president of the International Catholic Biblical Federation, Paglia. I did not know that. I thought all of his elevations after JP2's elevation of him were done by Francis. Now, look at the date on this one. 
Paglia was named president of the Pontifical Cat, uh, Council for the Family in June 2012. Fully nine months before Benedict handed the keys of St. Peter to Francis. So this is another Benedict appointment. As president of the Pontifical Council for the Family, he was responsible for the World Meeting of Families in Philadelphia, PA, in 2015. Also really bad stuff. So this is more trouble from Benedict and JP2. We followed a path of study and reflection that led us to see the issues of bioethics in a new light, he said. Remember that? Now, um, we did this not only in an atmosphere of parasia, a bold and courageous freedom of speech. Again, they're not doing this with human slavery or segregation. They're doing it with the sex issues. It stimulates and empowers theologians, academics, and scholars, but also with a procedure similar to the questiones disputate, to pose a thesis and open it up to debate. The questiones disputate is a medieval method of philosophical and theological discussion to dispute issues pertinent to society. Slavery and segregation are pertinent to society. All issues are pertinent to society. But they mean liberal, Illuminati, celebrated issues, celebrated overturns, long-sought, long-hoped-for, liberal-left overturns of Catholic moral theology, where one scholar presents a thesis and another responds in dispute. Why not do this with slavery? I wonder. More than 20 theologians, among them clerics, consecrated religious, lay women and men, gathered for the seminar. Most of the participants were from Europe, but two were from Latin America. You're going to hear who one of the cardinals was, and you won't be surprised. One from Africa and one from the United States. The one from Africa has to be uh, maybe Turkson, something like that. Two consultors from the Congregation of the Doctrine of the Faith, now called the Dicastery for the Doctrine of the Faith. Francis is uncoupling the Catholic magisterium, were present at the seminar as well as three cardinals. Luis Togle from the Philippines was one of them, Mario Gretsch, and Marcello Semeraro. The seminar was itself convened as a response to the work of eight theologians, men and women, who had been commissioned by the same pontifical academy a year before the seminar to reflect on fundamental aspects of the moral theology of life and bioethical concerns that touch on such contentious issues as contraception. Contraception ain't contentious. What do they mean by contentious? Do they mean really and actually not yet pat? Not terra firma conceptually? Or do they just mean that there are people that don't like contraception rules in the church? We need to solidify what they mean by contentious. It's like saying slavery is a contentious issue. It's not contentious as to its moral issue. It's wrong. It's a grave moral evil. The church has taught that forever. Slavery is wrong. Contraception is wrong. You only call it contentious from that second definition. Where you say, well, it's, it's not contended that it's wrong. Slavery or con- contraception. People are contending that they want to do it even though it's wrong. That's not what it really means to be intellectually contentious. Do you understand the difference? And even the way this damn article is written is slippery. 
tons of lies. They also count in vitro fertilization as one of these contentious issues and the suspension of nutrition and hydration for terminally ill persons. And then they want, they want to have all sorts of free sex, contraceptive sex, IVF, which has to do with about 10 different uh, mortal sins of the loins at once, including abortion. And then they want to be able to kill the elderly and not have to care for them because they're so busy having their mortally sinful sex. It also took account of what the different disciplines of modern science and technology had to contribute to the discussion at hand. Let me reread something from Archbishop Paglia. We followed a path of study and reflection that led us to see the issues of bioethics in a new light. This is absolutely at the center of the Francis Pontificate, seeing the liberal left, radical, Illuminati, Freemason issues that have long been outlawed by the church, seeing them as somehow suddenly morally acceptable. Up to and including homosexuality. To better understand the significance of these two initiatives promoted by the Pontifical Academy and their potential contribution to papal teaching and to the ongoing renewal of theological ethics. Our article's author interviewed Carlo Casalone, S.J., a former provincial of the Jesuits in Italy from 2008 to 2014, a visiting professor in moral theology and bioethics at the Pontifical Gregorian University since 2019, and the president of the Carlo, Cardinal Carlo Maria Martini Foundation. So you know it's wicked. He was appointed as a member of the Pontifical Academy for Life in 2017 and works in a scientific section. He participated in the drafting of the discussion text for the seminar and in the seminar from which the book has resulted. He asks Father Castelloni to explain what he and his fellow theologians linked to the Pontifical Academy are trying to do. He says, our aim is to listen to what Pope Francis is saying to theologians in a more comprehensive way. How do you get more comprehensive than slavery is wrong? Don't do it. They're like, well, it could be comprehensive enough to say yes, but is it? That's what they're trying to do. And since we are moral theologians dealing mainly with global bioethical issues, we try to make it explicit. What Evangelii Gaudium, Amoris Laetitia, Laudato Si, and Veritatis Gaudium, the document for the renewal of the universities and theological studies, mean for our theological reflection? They're trying to say, well, these four documents reimagine moral theological issues that were considered fixed, pat, cut and dried. And we're going to now try, try to... try to open up the theological issues of life in ways that we opened up those other four issues. Father Castelloni noted that people not infrequently take a sentence or statement for what Francis says but fail to grasp his organic vision. I don't even know what that would mean here. He said the problem that we is that we only listen to some things that Francis says but not to others. And sometimes we take his remarks out of context. The question is, are we able to give a holistic listening to what Francis says? What does that mean? There shouldn't be contradiction in what Francis is advising in particular and what he's advising in general or commanding. Why are we saying advising? It should be commanding. When I noted 
the article's author says, that Francis appears to have revolutionized the approach to many questions in moral theology and the ethics of life, the Jesuit theologian, seeking to be more precise, said this. You think he's going to call it off? You think he's going to mitigate the revolutionary nature of Francis' approach? Or do you think he's going to lean into it, put his weight on it? I would rather say, then there will be a bunch of gobbledygook in this answer, but he's going to see what he says. I'd rather say that Francis has highlighted aspects of the patrimony of the tradition of moral theology which were overlooked in the interventions of the recent magisterium. So, if Pope number 266 highlights what was overlooked in 265 or 165 or Pope number 65, that's fine to develop an area of papal magisterium that's been overlooked. But if what this goon who's speaking means by overlooked is, well, it's a clear answer that was answered by scripture and tradition, and so the magisterium has deigned against saying much on it. Is it wrong to murder innocent human beings? Always and everywhere. Therefore, you don't get a lot of papal encyclicals on, can I kill an innocent human being? It's an open question. Right? It's a conceptual difficulty. It's something that needs to be massaged. No, of course not. So, so what he's really saying is moral relativism can be rendered okay by Francis. This, he, he continues, this becomes clear if you go beyond merely thinking that Francis has made what appears to be only small changes and consider instead the broader implications of those changes with a systemic approach. Then you will understand that they are indeed very major changes. He's a revolutionary. So he starts out saying, you guys are missing it when you call Francis a revolutionary. Then he, two sentences later, he's saying he's a revolutionary. Major changes. If you put together all that Francis has said, then you will see that there are very new accentuations. For example, in relation to the conscience versus the norm. Conscience versus the norm. One person wants to break a rule. The rule is the norm. We're going to side with the person that wants to break the rule. That's what he just said in so many words. An ethical discernment, and this is both new and in continuity with tradition. No, it's not. It's new. And it's in tension with tradition. This is what we're trying to say. These people are sophists. The false, paid, grifting teachers of Athens that Western philosophy, starting with Socrates, then Plato, then Aristotle, arose against the sophists who said, aristocrats, send me your sons. I'll teach them to argue anything to be true in the popular view. Can teach them up is down. I can teach them up is up. I can teach them up is somewhere in between. Pay me. I'll show you how to misuse, to abuse rhetoric. That's what these folks are. They're sophists. Francis and all of his ilk. All of his scumbags in the Curia. That's all they're doing. This guy, who just spoke, recalls that the preliminary text for discussion sought to present the magisterium of Pope Francis in an integrated and comprehensive way. To this end, he said, the participants addressed such fundamental issues as the relation between nature and culture, the understanding of conscience in relation to law and discernment, means you side with the person that wants to break the law over the law, the use of an approach to the characteristics of phenomena through various disciplines, the inseparable link of theology and pastoral experience. Pastoral experience means 
everybody in your flock at your congregation wants to contracept. The norm is the norm, but if we pay attention to pastoral experience, we're just going to tell them they can. That's all it means. It just, it's not that clever. It's just diabolic rule bending. No, the people want it though. Be pastoral. Your kid wants to eat chocolate three meals a day, never eat his vegetables. Be pastoral. It means give in to him. Let him do the wrong thing. Also, the inseparable link of uh, theology, the pastoral experience, the understanding of history and the elaboration of moral theology, this just means that over the days, weeks, months, years, decades of history, moral theology can change. That's all that means. And the relativity of all language, since it cannot pretend to fix forever the understanding of the faith. They're saying from language to language, even within one given tongue, because language meaning changes, linguistic signs change, what is designated, the propositions designated by that language must change as well. No, that's not right. The word for ball might change within one language or it definitely changes from language to language, but the concept of ball, a sphere, three-dimensional, 360 degrees, does not change ever. So everything that this guy just pointed up is wrong and obviously wrong to anyone with a 90 IQ. And I can show how in an after sentence. The group also reviewed controversial bioethical issues that have arisen since the promulgation of the three previous papal teaching documents. Humane Vitae, 1968. Sorry, I said 1972. I knew it was two years from 1970, but it's 68, not 72. That's the one that produced all the dissenters, all the Canadian and American dissenters on contraception. They thought Paul VI was going to make contraception licit, and he held fast, he held firm to the Catholic teaching of 2,000 years, and the world, the Catholic world, exploded. Its liberals couldn't take it. They were shocked that they'd been sold out by their own leftist pope, Paul VI. On responsible parenthood and contraception, Donum Vitae from 1987, which deals with the relationship between natural moral law and reproductive technologies, like IVF, and Samaritanus Bonus, on the care of persons in the terminally and critically ill stages of life. As moral theologians, we must ask ourselves the reasons why these vexed issues continue to be a motive for unease and even desolation among believers. We realized that to reach a better understanding of these questions, we had to open a dialogue. And in this dialogical approach, we must take into consideration what the people of God understand and feel about them. Why? As I close... Let me just ask anybody who finds this, probably not many of you, moderately compelling. Why does it matter that a bunch of the so-called people of God want to eat candy for their three meals of the day? Why does it matter if my child, particularly my young boy, wants to eat bubble gum all day long? You know, it's too much sugar. Why is Francis telling us, well, you got to listen to him? You know, he doesn't want to eat his vegetables. That's all this is. This is not as clever as even Arius' rebellion against the Trinity. 
There's far more clever devices of the intellect involved in that rebellion against the Trinity by Arius and his ilk. All this is, the rebellion against moral theology, is 100%. We need to make this non-monologic. can't just be a monologue. God orders moral commands and we listen and we obey. It needs to be a dialogue because we need to hear from all the kids that want to eat candy, they just want to eat cookie and cakes, they don't want to eat their vegetables. My kids never want to eat their meat. It's funny because you, you love meat later, but they don't want to eat their, all the, the healthy aspects of nutrition. They just want to have dessert nonstop. Francis and all of his goons and Paglia and all of the professoriate and seminary professors They all speak with one mind. They're just saying, hey, we need to be pastoral. Let your kid do what he wants. Don't be monologic, be dialogic. You guys like strict bedtimes for your kids? But what do the kids think about that? What if they want to stay up all night? What if your kids want to do heroin? What if they want to try it? You need to be dialogic. What if your kids want to have sex before they get married? What if your kid wants to be a homosexual what if your son or daughter wants to experiment with bisexuality it's not difficult it applies to all the sex issues and it's selectively applied to only the sex issues they don't do this with what if a slaveholder just wants to or what if a farm owner an agriculturalist has a bunch of land and he's like man I really want a dialogical approach to, can we reconsider this condemnation from the Catholic Church on owning slaves? Because I need a lot of souls to run this farm. I need 250 souls and I don't want to pay them all. So can you be a little pastoral? Francis, can you re-envision? Can you re-read? Can you re-conceptualize? Can you look again at the Catholic Church's timeless moral teaching on slavery? Can we get some slaves up in here? That's all they're doing. But they do it with sex issues. And they say that, well, there's enough in revolt. There are enough people, enough laymen in particular, that want this clear moral error. So be pastoral. That's all I hear when I hear the word pastoral. Let the morally guilty those with morally bad habits, with morally wicked tastes, have their way. That's all the Francis pontificate stands for. And again, I close with the idea, I haven't seen any compelling evidence that Francis isn't Pope. I've seen some grounds that could, with further facts, lead to more facts, which eventually, if you had the eventuation of those realities... I mean, wow, as any pope, this pope could turn out to be an antipope. And then, then, yeah, hope. Hope springs eternal. It would solve a lot of problems if Francis were an antipope. I haven't seen that evidence there. And I have some friends that are trying to present me this evidence all the time. But I'm just saying, I don't get the people that are mad at people like my friends, like Patrick Coffin and Ed Mazza, who look into it. Because I would to heaven that they were right. 
I just don't think they are. But I mean, I don't know. It's a far stickier situation to be stuck. I don't just mean while he's our father, while he walks the earth. I mean, after Francis ceases to be Pope, number 266, it'll be far trickier to sort out his papal magisterium of absolute sexual rebellion in moral theology with Popes 267 and there thereafter. Probably he's stacked the deck with enough consistories of enough new cardinals that you're going to get a Pope that looks just like him in 267. But let's just assume the best. Let's say it's a great, faithful Pope Pius XIII. That's Pope 267. Even then, you're going to have to do something with the papal magisterium of Francis that has given us all of this filth. And our papal magisterium is not supposed to be contradicting itself. Okay? So this is why I'm perplexed by folks that don't at least wish wishfully. I think my friends who believe what they're saying are are reasoning wishfully, which means you're committing an error intellectually without more evidence. But at least let them wish wishfully. I wish wishfully that Francis weren't Pope. He is the worst. He is a destroyer. And the, the, the outfits that have propped him up, I mean, the, the generally faithful ones, you guys know who they are, that have propped him up for nine years have, I think, much to atone for. He is so obviously a wicked man. All of his lieutenants are wicked men. All of his kingmakers were really wicked men. The type we refer to as Sancta Gaula Mafia. And it's all about sexual revolution. God be with us. God bless you all. Deus Volt. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit.